John just locked up, I believe. I did? Oh, no, Jonathan, you're good. John Strand just locked up. Oh, what's going on over uh, there? He's just thinking really hard. He's thinking really hard. Okay, I'll work there. While you're waiting on John, there was a question for pre-show that maybe you guys could expand on because I'm not sure what they're talking about. Um, but someone asked, what about the COVID relief bill making some screaming elite? Do you know what they're referring to? The COVID relief bill making what? Some streaming illegal. Oh yeah, yeah, streaming illegal. Yeah, this this one's going to be really interesting, right? So there's yeah. So, so well, look, it's they're not making anything illegal that wasn't already illegal. And, and and let me be very clear here. I'm not a lawyer. I don't even play one on TV. Go talk to your lawyer, right? But I, I've read that a specific part of the bill there. And what they're doing is for second offenses. Right in streaming, they're removing a lot of the safe harbor provisions. They've got some other, uh, uh, basically saying, look, you know, for your second offense, they're, they're talking about criminal penalties of up to ten years for streaming uh, copyright copyrighted material. Now, of course, you can imagine, like as I'm sure you can imagine, in the dumpster fire of uh, cyber legislation that we've had thus far, um, it's not like they did a great job of spelling out what streaming is specifically in this uh, in this legislation. And so this really is just electronic transmission. A lot of folks are coming back. So don't think it's just streaming. It's like pirating copyrighted material or causing it to be pirated. And this is concerning a lot of corporations, as I'm sure you can imagine, because there's already talk about rollback of Section 230. And by the way, too, um, the Electronic Communications Privacy Act was not meant to be a, a, a truly a privacy act for really anybody. It was meant to benefit the government. And then what do you know? Most of it gets struck down by the Supreme Court and we're left with Section 230 as a great protection. This, on the other hand, is exactly the opposite of that. I suspect that this will be very much like the CFAA, where we have a lot of very uh, nebulous terms um, that will ultimately have to be argued out in the courts um, You know, if the omnibus spending bill gets, uh, gets passed. That said, uh, if you didn't listen to the oral arguments um, in the CFAA case that finally went to the Supreme Court, did anybody actually listen to these? No, what they were arguing over the definition of is, or sorry, the definition of so, the word so, s o, that literally is what they're arguing over in a case where, and for those that aren't familiar with the case, this is a case where a deputy, a sheriff's deputy, a law enforcement officer, used the database that he had access to for law enforcement purposes. He has access to it for law enforcement purposes. Uses it then to go and stalk other people uses this way outside and, and and so there's not should not even be a question of does this exceed authorized use but as it turns out literally the word so in the law um is is now being debated by supreme court justices and i'm sure that's what they do any day now right um, and we'll have our first cfa case at the supreme court so uh basically brace for impact is is the short of it there on the omnibus spending question i i but uh, <laughs> But that's what they do. You know, legal scholars love to debate those things. So, Well, we were actually yeah, asking yeah, a have... question while we were gone, John, about the, the new streaming provision in the omnibus spending bill. Have you seen this yet? Oh, my God, I have. Holy crap. Yes. I, yes. I was completely off my radar. $10,000 fine? Did they actually settle on that, that $10,000 fine for illegal streaming? Oh, forget the $10,000 fine. It's a 10-year imprisonment I'm worried about. Mm -hmm. 
Right? Yeah. I mean, the money, I'll, I'll cut you the check, right? I'm, I'm talking, and it's not just streaming, right? Remember, like, folks are, are changing the words here. And they're like, it, it's it's cause to be, it's transmit or cause to be transmitted, right? So it doesn't have to be streaming. It can be sharing copyrighted material, but come your second offense, you have $10,000 in 10 years now, of prison. And that gets into, like, memes and pictures and things like that. Well, yeah, now, yeah, if you I remember, mean, who was it? Who was the senator a number of years ago? I, I think it was Strom Thurmond that was talking about like BitTorrent and stuff. And they're like, well, we just need to pass a law where we can literally break into their computer systems and bring their system and destroy their computers. And this is right about the time that Jake started teaching with the Sands Institute. And I was still at Northrop Grumman. And I remember that we actually had conversations with higher up people that were like, wait a minute now. The senator just talked about this capability to go into people's computer systems that are sharing files illegally and then deleting their hard drives. We need to develop a project to do that right now as part of R&D. And it's like, what the hell is wrong with people? So when, yeah. shit, when, when crap like this comes up, it has impacts. Like there's people out there that start down that path. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. That's the thing, too. Like to your point, John, people love to kind of step back like these pundits on the, you know, on the fringe of, of whatever. And then, you know, some new folks in the security, like, oh, no, that's not going to matter. And it's like, brother, I've been in the rooms, right? You've been in the rooms. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> where folks are already like they're like how do we capitalize on this from a law enforcement side i'm not i'm not knocking law enforcement but bear in mind every law that gets passed is another thing that they can charge right and they're looking at like okay how do we charge this as a step in some cases i'm sure as a stepping stone to uh, to bigger crimes and by the way if you don't have this book you absolutely owe it to yourself to get this book how to become a federal criminal if you haven't seen this before it is fantastic there's a, a twitter account called crime a day and this basically is like the long form narrative of like all the absolutely bat bat poop crazy stuff that am I allowed to curse on here? Are we good? Is this would, a, before we record, yeah, it's fine. Before, uh, batshit crazy stuff that you can do um, that ends up making you a federal criminal. It's fantastic. Now, it was funny, Moxie Marlin Spike, w- whenever he was kind of talking about, he still talks about the stuff, right? You know, there were people that basically were using the argument of if you're not a criminal, you have nothing to hide. And Moxie's take on that, I thought was brilliant. He basically was saying, look, you wouldn't believe what is actually a crime. So even if you're a quote unquote innocent person or you think that you're an innocent person, if all of a sudden you allow the government and people to intrude on your life at that level, they can find a crime. Right. And it's not like some kind of, you know, scary, high level crime, you know, like child pornography. They can find crimes and they can totally charge you with a whole bunch of garbage. And it, it's just people don't quite understand just how bad that is. You know, it's crazy state laws. I think no, this no, one was no, fixed in South Dakota. No, more than white, two or three white Native Americans vote constitutes a war party and is illegal. They will still enforce those laws if they want to, as crazy yeah. as they are. So. Dude, dude, John, John, you, you, were, you were a bit off there. White people don't understand that. Ask any person of color. Ask any person of color if they believe that you can be found to be in a criminal violation for just any moment walking down the street. Yep. Yep. I, I, I want to back off that as a topic, but I'm just going yes. to say for the record, okay. I agree with you. Right. And, and that gets into something where, and Jake and I have had conversations, Jonathan, you and I have had conversations. Let's talk about women in tech. 
uh, just quickly, because, hey, if we're going to throw fuel on the fire, let's do that, right? So you talk about a lot of guys in security, and they're like, well, things aren't that bad. Sit down and have a conversation with a woman that's been in IT or IT security for 15 years and have them tell you the horrific crap that they've lived through. And you'll be oh, like, well, there's a bunch of stuff day. I didn't see. Yeah. I had no idea how bad it was until I'm, I, I, for those of you who don't know, I'm, I'm married to a uh, very wonderful Hispanic woman who is uh, a, a person of color and also in IT security. And, and yeah, I get to I get to hear the the, the horrific things. By the way, in Discord, people are like, "I didn't sign up for this political crap." Couple of things. Number one, we're pre-show banner where we get to talk about whatever the hell we want. We won't talk about this stuff at that point. So just chill. It's okay. You know, we don't have to get all 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 crazy on that. That's fine. And we got some people on from the UK. That's good. Welcome, Particle Void. We can I, do I that. Some people are like, no, no. no. No, keep going with politics. So, like, they got popcorn and everything. Oh, We're done. No, no. I spoke my piece. We're done with that. We got some people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I will go off of politics as well, especially as we. <laughs> I mean, uh, hey, look, it's straight up the hour. It's all about solar winds. Absolutely. Do we have anybody on from Russia? Because one of my favorite things at the end of our webcast is to go through the registrations and see how many people are registering from .ru addresses. And then how many people are registering from FBI addresses and government DOD addresses? We bring people together here, right? We bring people together here. I like this. I like that. Yeah. And hey, look, I can even bury the hatchet with a couple of my, my comrade friends in, uh, yeah, that would be great. Of course, of course, there's people in from Russia. But John, by the way, you, you're, you were incorrect earlier. There's three Dakotas. There's three Dakotas? Okay. Three Dakotas. There's the north and south, of which you're aware, right? But then, then there's West Dakota. You just didn't know about West Dakota. Some people call it Eastern Montana. Oh yeah, but we but we know it's West Dakota, the capital of which is Billings. Very, very true. Is very true. But it stops. It stops just east of Red Lodge, the ski area. I've noticed that Montana claims all the good ski areas. Like, let's get past that. No, no well, Montana has them. West Dakota doesn't. No, no, they don't. Well, yeah. So are you excited about the train system they're putting in Montana? We're going to talk about Montana stuff because we have like a thousand people between YouTube and this. Now they're going to listen to us talk about train systems in Montana and how awesome that is. But at the end, you have to relate it back to cybersecurity. Oh, my God. Oh, trains, security, critical infrastructure. Come on. It's awful. You know what? I am actually excited about any sort of better transit that is that is uh, across Montana. Because right now, um, where where I live in Missoula, um, in order to get to most of the places downtown, the easiest, fastest route is for me to hop, hop up onto the interstate because it's just a quick hop up onto I ninety to, uh, and then it's a couple of a couple of exits down, and I'm downtown by the by the university and downtown and stuff. But these days, the traffic is slowed. Because somebody, somebody east of Missoula is building a wind farm. And do you have any idea how big the components of those Ooh. devices are? They're monstrous. And, and let's so, talk about a cybersecurity component. My cousin talking. actually does service and maintenance on those. And, like, they take security really seriously with some of them. And I didn't quite understand why. I'm like, it's, it's a windmill. Like, why are you worried? Apparently, you can detach the generator 
from the blade and then disengage the brakes. And those blades get going so crazy fast that whenever they fly apart, it's like a bomb going off. It is insane. Like it'll take out a whole bunch of houses. There's videos of this online. Like it's scary. So now I get, okay. Okay. Sure. Why, why wouldn't it be a smart windmill with a function where you can over the network disengage the generator from the blades? Of course, somebody just put it. Cryptos, Cryptos just put in, and it's running Windows XP. There you go. Yeah, of course it's running Windows XP. And Juicebox, too. So so was the MRI machine that I just stuck my head into last week. Oh, God. Yeah. So it's it's crazy. Tip of the blades, they say, are going about 300 miles an hour under normal conditions. Uh, They're going about 300 miles an hour. They can get going a lot faster, so they're they're pretty neat. DHS will be calling us soon. So what was that what was that uh, uh that that botnet that took over home riot routers? I want to say it was Mariah. Was that it, Mariah? Years ago, before Mariah happened, Paul Azadorian, Larry Pesci, and I would give a presentation, and Paul wrote most of it, but it was basically how we would take over the world, and it went through finding a whole bunch of home routers. Paul scanned the like entire internet of like Eastern European countries and in Kuwait and found a bunch of routers with default passwords, default things. And he's like, you would go in, you would reconfigure their DNS settings. You would compromise the systems on the other side. It was basically exactly what happened with Mirai. And uh, I think it was like 2006, 2007, we had someone from De- department of Homeland security at a SANS Boston conference come up after that presentation and say, Hey, you guys should never give this presentation again. And we were like, okay, we're done at that point. So. I had something very similar to me happen after another presentation where I talked about a thing. I'm not even going to get into the what thing, um, but uh, talked <laughs> I about I know, a, and I had a, yeah, I, I had, before I even left the conference, had a discussion in people, uh, with people, uh, credentialed people um, in, uh, in yep. suits um, about the whole like, so let's just not ever call attention to that specifically again. And it's like, and, and then of course, again, you know, thinking about, of course, this book wasn't written at the time, but, but also <laughs> having seen the games that get played, I'm kind of like, yep, yeah, there's probably a spot where I stepped on a snail on federal land and, you know, or at a minimum making Nothing. allegation of such could tie me up for weeks, months, whatever. Right. And so, yes, all that. So we've got people asking where Deb and Jason are. Deb and Jason did 300 and I think 80 events in 2020. So if you look at BHIS, Wild West Hack and Fest, all of our web events and everything that we did, it was about 380 separate events. They're taking the week off, folks. So you will not see Jason and you will not see Deb because they're currently in the middle of an emotional breakdown that can only be solved with eggnog and tinsel. So that's where they're at right now. So. Yeah. No, when Jason showed me the the numbers, it was something like three hundred and fifty thousand people have gone through these things, and and it was it was yeah, we've had a busy year. Somebody said lightweights. <laughs> well, come on. <laughs> so please, you know, folks on Discord, a round of applause for Jason and Deb, and also Velda. You know, Velda does a lot of the Wild West Hackenfest stuff, but to be honest, when you're looking at Wild West Hackenfest. That's a huge chunk of what we did. And then also Shelby, who I think Shelby's on as well. Uh, Shelby kind of kicked a lot of this off with Chris Brenton and the free network threat hunting training. And then finally, Ryan, 
Ryan's the one that takes all this stuff and converts it to YouTube videos. So we have a number of people that are just like super helpful to make this entire process go down. It's no murder board. We should do that. We should do live murder boards for people that want to present. We should do that live. Okay. Yeah. You know what? I'd be down for that. I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm down. I think it's a good idea. Anybody that wants to present, we should do traditional old school murder boards. So those are mean. They are. They're very mean and they work. Oh yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying they can't be effective. It's just in my, in my career, I only had the, I was only the victim once and I was perpetrated on, a couple of times. That was the one with Johannes where Johannes yes. at the end said, when you were talking about cross-site request forgery, Johannes said, uh, Jonathan, it seemed through your presentation like you were talking out your ass and you didn't know what you were talking about. And then he paused and goes, but everything you said was correct. It was just like, oh, my God. That was, that was one of my all-time favorite murder board moments. Dude, I, I, I remember it like it was yesterday because I remember you called me up after and said, hey, that last bit about CSRF, um, were you guessing? <laughs> you nailed it All right. so people are asking yep. what a murder board is so the murder board at the sands institute this is the way they used to do it if you wanted to be an instructor you had to present a section of like 10 slides to four or five other instructors that were going to be as big of jerks as they possibly could to you through that entire presentation to see how you handled it how well you were prepared how you failed and failed gracefully and that was one of the things that we did is trial by fire. Like, you, you know, if somebody got in front of a room years ago at the Sands Institute, they had to sit in front of Ed Scotus, Eric Cole, sometimes Stephen Northcutt, Jonathan, Jake would be on some. And we would just tear them apart, pretending to be the worst students we had ever seen. And the reason why is we want to see how an instructor fails. Because how they fail, really, if you want to see them fail in front of you, like, do they start lying? Do they seize up? We've had people start crying. I'm not joking. Like, it was tough. But I think it made us all better instructors at what we did. So, yeah. All right. So we're at the top of the hour. Uh, let's go ahead and let's – people are now showing uh, uh, pictures of puppies at the moment. So let's go ahead and get started. So this is the point where the recording would begin, and this is what shows up on YouTube. But I want to say thank you very much for attending – the final, we hope, the final Wild West Hacking Cast of 2020. And the reason why we hope, this wasn't supposed to happen. Like, we're not supposed to be here. But the solar winds thing is getting out of control. And it's not necessarily getting out of control like, oh, my God, the hack is bad. And uh, we don't know what to do with The hack is done, folks. Like, it's over. And we're going to talk about this in a lot more detail there's not a lot that you can do about it. So we need to start bringing some sanity to this. We need to stop panicking and we need to start planning on how we're going to deal for things in the future. And when this was set up, uh, I can't think of two better people to bring on to talk about this than Jake Williams from Rendition and Jonathan Hamm from Rendition. And I would like you all to know that Jonathan Hamm is not wearing a Rendition shirt, but I'm sure that he will get one in the mail very quickly. <laughs> So, uh, so I, I don't think I need to go into too much detail. SolarWinds got hacked. The code for updates on Orion got pushed out to thousands of customers, 18,000, they believe, or roughly. And hundreds of those customers were actually targeted. Right, right now, it looks like it was um, Russian hackers that were actually behind it. But Jake, correct me if I'm wrong, we don't want to get into the IOCs 
of, you know, what are the domains, the IP addresses, the malware? Why do we want to stay away from that as a topic? Well, first off, it's, it's way overplayed now anyway, but, but separate from that, right? You probably already have, have dove into that. And if you haven't, it's too late now, right, is, is the reality. These are attackers that are performing active counterintelligence operations. And the second any of those IOCs are produced uh, and are made public, uh, they're obviously changing those, you know, changing those signatures. You know, it, just from a reality standpoint, that, that's just not going to be helpful for us. And, and then again, just like we said too, it's, it's been covered to death. And, and honestly, you know, it's probably not going to help you down the road there uh, to focus directly on IOCs. So Jonathan, you're the one that kind of pulled this together. Like, what was it, four days ago? You're like, we should do this. What were some of the main reasons? Like you had mentioned that there's a whole bunch of people in the industry that are talking about it, but you felt like they were kind of missing the point of this, what we should be taking from this, some of the fundamentals, what we have to do moving forward. What do you think has been missing for the comp- from the conversation on solar winds that we needed to discuss here? Oh, so much sanity, so much sanity. And, and yeah, what, what triggered it, and, and again, we pre, pre-talk banter, uh, no more politics, but the, uh, what triggered it for me is I, I do watch a lot of, of news on TV, and, I, and I'm, a, I'm a politics junkie. I'm paying attention to what's going on all the time. And the particular news channel I happen to have been watching kept rolling out these people talking about the, the uh, solar winds breach. And the same news channel, when they're talking about COVID, every person they have on is a frontline doctor or an epidemiologist or somebody who's an actual expert talking expert stuff about COVID mutations and CDC guidelines and all that kind of stuff. And then they were talking about solar winds and they're talking to senators and they're talking to other people with absolutely no expertise whatsoever. And they're all saying the same crazy, stupid stuff about, oh, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. And I mean, I, I appreciate the reference to CISA and stuff that they were giving, but I just wasn't seeing how any place anywhere sanity was mm-hmm. getting promulgated. Now, I saw Jake. Jake Jake put out a webcast through Sands that was a great, big, huge breath of sanity. But I felt like even, no offense to Jake, I felt like there was even more that needed to be said and could be said especially as the, the time shifts a bit and things continue to move on and we find out a few, bit more, a, a few bits more about what did happen and what we need to be thinking about to think about this clearly and sanely. And I figured, you know what? You know who, you know who should talk about this more? Jake and you, John. And that's why I thought, you know what? Maybe the three of us ought to get together and chat about it a bit and maybe we can uh, put some sanity out into the field. So let's let's talk about that sanity. We were talking about it at the beginning in the pre-show banter, but you know, I, I think we're our firms, right? We're getting lots of calls from customers that are like, we need to know, are we currently being breached? Do the Russians still have access on the inside of our network? And they want us to look at the IP addresses and the domains that were used in this particular attack. And the thing that I really want to get across right now, and it's almost insensitive, is it's over, folks. Like from a solar winds perspective, you're not going to get out in front of it. You're not going to stop the attack. You're not going to block the IP addresses because Microsoft and DNS providers have already shut those down. The C2 channels are dead. It's the party's over, right? It's like the parents were returning to the house at Weird Science, right? The damage has been done. The the couch is in the the front yard. 
you have children that have been turned into frogs. The damage is done. And I think what we need to do is stop focusing on the indicators of compromise and saying, here's the signatures for the files. Here's what you do to you know, look at the domains. It's over. And instead, we need to start focusing on how do we move forward to make sure that this crap doesn't happen again? Or if it does, it doesn't happen at the scale that this one did. And uh, Jake, you had mentioned as well, we really need to go back to the fundamentals. I think there's a lot of people that are like, we need better signatures. Here's the sticks file for this. Stop. We need to focus on the fundamentals. So if, we, if we're looking at this attack, Jake, and then Jonathan, I want you to answer it too. How would the fundamentals have been able to help this particular attack for the companies that got compromised? Let's leave solar winds till the end because they had horrific security. They had a they had a CISO that was telling them that the, the barn was burning. No one listened. They had passwords of SolarWind123. Let's leave them out of it for a second. Let's talk about what fundamentals organizations could have had in place that would have helped detect this. Yeah, sure. I mean, look, uh, first off, it's it's DNS, right? DNS log. And we've talked, John, for years, and Jonathan as well, for years about using DNS. I, in fact, I remember at one of the IONS uh, forums that we were at together, where I think we got pitched the question uh, together. Uh, I believe I was sitting in one of your sessions. Um, and then we got pitched the question kind of together of the, what are your most valuable hunting artifacts? And I think both of us were like, DNS and NetFlow. Like, give me those two things first, right? And then shortly behind that, I, I had, I, I need my domain controller. And they're really domain controllers sitting in as, you know, the more the, the more specific version of IDP, my identity provider. I need my identity provider logs. That's the kind of stuff I want right off the bat. And, and not only do I need them, I need retention on all that data. Mm-hmm. Right? If you use DHCP in your network, NetFlow, hey, brother, NetFlow is great, right? But if I don't have the DHCP logs to go with it, it's kind of tight. It was like, a nightmare. You've got so a job. problem. It's like, where? And you're like, I don't know. And so <laughs> we've got to have that. But we need retention. Even if you assume that the SolarWinds piece starts in March, and I have good evidence at the moment that that's probably not when everything begins, although we're not getting into what, when, how, far back, et cetera. Even if you believe March, that's nine months of retention. Do you have nine months of that? Because if you do, great, you can go back and look. But but separate from that, forget forgetting the, the specifics of this retention, think about this domain pops up out of nowhere, right? The, the initial callback domain for, for SolarWinds. You and I, I know, both do something called never before seen or, or first time, uh, basically first time seen. And so then the question is, why is this weird domain first time for the first time ever, right? Seen, beacon app. And by the way, too, who did it, right? Because that would be, obviously, I have tons of these every day, right? But but if one of them only comes from my Orion server, brother, you better believe that one bubbles right up to the top, right? Now, in big networks, this is harder to do. Nobody said it would be easy, though. At the end of the day, though, that's that's where I'm starting, man. Fundamentals. So, Jonathan, I know that we've worked some incidents in the past together. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted these these two gentlemen to be on, folks. Understand, these guys actually do this stuff, right? They're working incidents. They're in the field. And, Jonathan, I've been on the front lines with you where a customer's been like, we want to know the following things. We want to know when we were hacked. We want to know how much data that they actually got out. We want to know all this stuff. And then you ask them, uh, so what do you have for those networking logs? And they're like, nothing. And you can't answer those questions. So for people that are moving forward, what would you recommend saying, hey, if you, if you not just want to prevent or detect this attack, but like Jake said, there's a big difference between that DGA that went out to Amazon, a domain name generation algorithm that had the encoding 
of the internal domain, where it beaconed and said, I'm alive 14 days later. There's a huge difference between that beacon and data exfiltration, where you see terabytes of data leaving. So to be able to detect that data that's leaving and that command and control, what would you recommend at a basis if people are going to write down, they need to have that to ask the Jake question of six months ago, what happened? What do they need to have to be able to answer those questions? Easy. First, Sun Tzu say. Sun Tzu say, first, know thyself. First, know thyself. Right? That that answer that, that you state that we get all the time when we say, all right, where's the logs that we need to tell you the answers? And they say, oh, we don't have. All right, look, if, if you want to be positioned for the next one of these, because there will be a next one of these, if you want to be positioned for the next one of these, know what you have where. That's critical security control number one. Know, where, know what hardware you have, which that's kind of a double-edged sword, because how are you going to know all that? A little bit of SNMP, a little bit of solar winds. Oh, oopsie. I, there I went and said it. <laughs> but first, know thyself. And second, know all your software. That's, that's critical control, uh, security control number two. So how many people are hit with this had no idea that they were, or at least the security team had no idea that they were running solar winds? Mm-hmm. Jake, you talked about that a week ago even, um, where, where SecOps has no idea that NetOps has mm-hmm. even deployed that because there's, no, there's, there's just this disconnect between network ops and SecOps and we just don't even know. So we don't, we don't know what we have. And the, the, outsho- the outcropping of that, and this is where it comes back around to answer your question more directly, John, is unless, unless you've got that hardware and software inventory that you can access in real time, you can't get to the next big question, which is where are your blind spots? Yep. Where can you not see? Where I mean, if you're talking about, hey, we're getting to the point where we can see some stuff. We got some logs. We're logging this. We're logging that. Next question is, okay, what can't you see? Where can Mm -hmm. you not see? Where is your abyss? Because that's where the problem is going to be. That's where the problem is going to exist. And you're not going to be able to see there. So you've got to be able to do the visibility analysis to figure out what you can see and what you can't. And I'm going to throw out there, folks, this doesn't have to be expensive. Like we're seeing people talk about Palo Alto and all these things. Security Onion is free. Even though I think Doug Burks went a little bit too far with Docker. That's okay. It's still free and it's amazing, right? It's still free and it's amazing. Security Onion is free. And that brings you Sarakata. That brings you Zeke. And, you know, what? I can't get through a webcast and not talk about Rita for beaconing detection. Be able to detect, okay, we've got a, we've got a server that's updating. It beacons out like once a day. And now all of a sudden, uh, like 14 days after a patch, it's now beaconing back. I think it was once a minute for some of the connections that were HTTP and some of them were a little bit more randomized, but, you know, being able to detect anomalies. And I think that goes back to Jonathan's blind spots. You find those blind spots by doing anomaly detection and you find anomalies by getting bro Zeke logs and running it through something like Zeke and then running through something like Rita, maybe using flare. If you're using an elk stack, it doesn't have to be expensive to start finding these things. And I think the last thing is we have to have the will as security professionals to dig deeper. Let's be honest. The Russians did an amazing job of making this look like OIP protocol. Like they really did an amazing job to the point where if you intercept the TLS SSL, it actually still looks like OIP protocol. So that's huge. But but no, you got to have those tools and it doesn't cost a lot of time. Sorry, it doesn't cost a lot of money to actually get there. Money. I, I would... 
Oh, go ahead. I yeah. to to, I'll claim this. I'll claim this. IOTs aside, I could go to Talos Intelligence and all the other – and go to FireEye and look for all the IOCs in the world and then ignore them entirely, not even know about them. You give me comprehensive Zeek data in an environment that was hit with this, I will find it for you. I will yeah. find it for you. I can find it. Just give me the Zeek data, comprehensive Zeek data, and it's free, like John says, free on and on security and in, easy to install, easy to get rolling. Bring me the Zeek data, and I Seems will like find a, as a Roman emperor. Bring me the Zeek data, and the party starts. Right I mean, there. demonstrably so, though, right? Because we did this at Wild West Hacking Fest. What was that? Uh, Twenty nineteen, right in Deadwood. Oh, you can catch, I can still see you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, yeah, I can still see exactly. I wrote a new command and control. We did not discuss this with uh, with Jonathan. One of our, uh, you know, one of our customers was nice enough to let us uh, drop it into their network, and then Jonathan hunted for it and found it. I mean, it was a and it was sneaky command and control. And there's only I, I'm going to be straight here and say there's not a lot of people in the world that would have like sat down and been like, I found you, I got gotcha. you, right? Um, but but again, back to the fundamentals. And they had, we had NetFlow there, we had Zeek, and we had PCAP, right? Now, granted, the PCAP is a little bit, most people probably don't have that, right? But but you found it was Zeek originally. Yeah, and that, that, that was exactly right. It wasn't that I had PCAP. It was right. that I used the PCAP to create the Zeek data that I needed. And once I had the Zeek right. data that I needed, even as, as if it were just Zeek taken live, I didn't care. I, would, I did not actually need the PCAP. I didn't do full content inspection. All I needed right. was, was what Zeek could get me. And what Z got me was you. That's what yeah. Z got was you, Jake. Yeah. I found you. Yes. So and and, and, and I, I, and I, I didn't have an IOC in the world to go with. So people are talking about IOCs and what they are. That stands for indicators of compromise. Is what we're talking about. They're, they're signatures, basically. So yeah. the other thing that I want to kind of like tie this together is, I believe a lot of the organizations, not all of them, because there's some very good organizations that got hit. Whenever you look at security, you've got to assume that every single component of your organizational security support structure will fail. Your endpoint security will fail. Your network security monitoring will fail. Your log analysis will fail. UEBA will fail. But all of them failing at the exact same time, I've never seen it happen at scale in an organization, right? And it seems, and I, I want to get some backup from you guys, that a lot of these organizations once they were hit and then they started activating the back door and doing standard operations, it's the same crap that every pen testing firm and red teamer and offensive attacker does post-exploitation for lateral movement. So Jonathan, I heard you give the quote, I think it was 12 years ago, you're going to get hacked and that's forgivable. <laughs> What's not forgivable is the attackers moving laterally, taking over the entire organization and staying there for months. And that's what we saw is we didn't just see one component fail. We saw all the fundamentals fail in a lot of these organizations as well. Yeah. And, and that's, that's, that's sadness. And it's, it's a result of one of two things. Either you don't have either the, you don't have the data to go hunting with, or you didn't go hunting. Yeah. yeah. People are asking, that's- what are the, uh, the miter techniques associated with this? I just put in the CISA article that lists nice. out some of the techniques that were there. The other thing I wanted to get into is for organizations to protect themselves, I think we go back to the fundamentals. We've got multiple overlapping fields of visibility. Get that network level data uh, in the form of Zeek or NetFlow, even though I hate NetFlow because of its inconsistencies. It's better than not having it for sure. I think that we have a lot of those things actually set up. But I, I think let's, let's take a step back where people bitch and moan about policies 
I think we have to talk about policies. There are some policies and organizations, there's policies at the national level that need to change. And one of the things I want to put out there is, do we need to start listing software as critical infrastructure? We talk about critical infrastructure for SCADA, ICS systems. We talk about trains. We talk about windmills. We talk about all of that. But is it about time that we start coming up with a registry that says, hey, if this software is used in every single government organization or a huge percentage, that there are software development companies that have to be held to a higher standard for software code review and for organizational security posture assessments for these organizations. Because it, look, when you're looking at what happened with Solar Winds, we know that Solar Winds security was a dumpster fire. One of their former CISOs came out and basically said, when I worked there, it was a dumpster fire. It was bad. And they still did nothing about it. Do we need the government to actually step in? Do we need a separate council, kind of like PCI, to step in and say, hey, if you're critical infrastructure software, here's the standards that have to be met? In theory, I, I 100% think you're probably on, you know, on the right track. In practice, I'm not sure how much that moves the bar. But, but then again, I said the same thing about DOD 8570, now I think 8140 or something, whatever. The, the, yeah. the requirement that every Department of Defense person that touches a computer, administers a computer, touches, administers computing resources in any way, has to have a security cert. And I said, this is you know just hogwash. It's just not going to work. It's not, but it did. And, and I know folks are going to be like, no, it didn't, whatever. I was there. I'm telling you it did. The thing that changed is that when I went and talked to a systems administrator, I'm like, look, understand why this is violating the principle of least privilege. I didn't get like, principle of what? Of what? We could have an adult conversation, right? Not not a romp. <laughs> and, and that really, you know, so I, I I don't think that anything we're gonna do from a regulation standpoint is gonna be perfect, but but I do think that that yeah, I, I think it's coming. I think it probably needs to come. And and there may even be a further discussion, John, you know, about nationalization of you know, nationalization of some of our software. You, you know that that some countries have their own you know, their own operating systems, uh, you know, like Russia's North Korea. Was that like North Korea? Yeah. Well, I mean, even but seriously, Russia uh, what was a year and a half ago started talking about building their own, you know, email clients and their own like wanting to get completely away from exchange and outlook. They're taking the supply chain thing very seriously. We may not be quite as seriously. Right. So I, I think some, some changes have to be made there. I, I'm just positive that whatever they are are going to be imperfect in implementation because, of so course, We've had a lot of people bringing up the cybersecurity maturity model certification. This kind of springboards off of what Jake said, where you can have a certification, right, folks, where you can say, hey, this, these are the minimum things that you're going to do to secure an organization. There's something completely different to actually being a secure organization. And I think that that kind of speaks to Jake's previous point, where you can have all the certification and accreditation that you can possibly put on an organization, and they can still be wide open. You know, I, I look at like SOC Type 2 audit, right? Everyone's like, where's your SOC 2? You know, do, do you have that set up? Or FedRAMP, right? People are talking about that as well. Is that actually making organizations more secure? And usually when we're working with those types of audit frameworks, they don't because people are just, what is the absolute minimum to get the checkbox so we can move on? But there's some truth to what Jake said, where as bad as that may be, it shifts the industry. You're still going to have outliers. You're still going to have people that are failing at certification and accreditation. You're going to have people that lie. They're going to hire audit companies that will give them a passing score without actually looking deeply in that organization. You're still going to have that. 
but I think it does actually move the entire industry forward. I think we really get into tough questions of how much does it move the industry? You have some people like Jeff Mann on Security Weekly who talks about PCI who believes it's moved it quite a bit. And I think he has some valid points. If you look at PCI, there's people like me that get very angry about the seven character minimum password length. And I sure as hell think that I have a valid point about that being stupid. So I'd like to put it to you, you know, kind of keeping this conversation going, is the answer certification and accreditation here? Does it move it a little bit or is it just a steeplechase that doesn't get us anywhere? It so depends. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd, I'd love to. It just, it, it so depends. The thing that I would, the, the thing that I hate to hear in, in security ever, ever and always, is anywhere I'm hearing great get in the way of good. And, and that's, that's what I start to hear around a lot of this. Yeah, there's any number of ways that we can try this that's not going to help, it's not going to work, and so on and so forth. But we have, as an industry, been improving incrementally. I mean, yeah, okay, the bad guys are still staying ahead of us with their tradecraft. Yeah, okay, and their funding. I mean, you know, Cozy Bear's got deep pockets, gotcha, deeper than deeper than mine and such. But as a community, I, I agree with Jake, the DOD 8570 or whatever it is now, it did make a difference. I saw that. I saw that. The, the 20 critical security controls, the fact that people are aware that they exist do make a difference. CISSP, God help us, does actually make a difference in that if nothing else, HR people are looking for some, some criteria at all, if any, to try to ensure that the people that they're hiring for these particular technical roles have some semblance of a background in it. Right. So if we can, if we then start talking about, okay, now we've talked about certifying and crediting people. What about the certifying and accrediting software? Can that work? Well, Mm -hmm. you know, if it moves the needle a little bit, I'd like the FDA. Does the FDA work? How good is the FDA for us? I would say absolutely. I'm not saying it's perfect. Could we still get tainted food? Could I still get drugs that don't work? Can I, you know, and so on and so forth? Yeah, that can happen. My point is, I'd rather that we have the FDA that we have than none at all. And and the same thing with software. If we get to the point where we've got something like an FDA for critical software, hey, great. Because you know what ends up happening? People don't die of the flu so much anymore because enough people get vaccinated that most people don't die of the flu. The people that die of the flu are the people that didn't get vaccinated. John, the people whose software environments and security posture, environmental security posture still sucks because they intentionally hired an auditor that's going to give them a free pass. Guess what? Okay, they're going to be the ones that get sick and die. We had someone that popped up and I thought it was great. They were talking about what, what's the advice that we're seeing in, in the news that we don't think works. We've already talked about indicators mm-hmm. of compromise and specific signatures. All three of us agree. Like if you're writing signatures, here's the file hash for that DLL that's compromised. Too late, too late. Like That's not going to help you. So I want you all to think, and I'm going to ramble for a little bit so you can think about it. What is some advice you've seen online in articles and in interviews from like senators or whoever that you think actually doesn't help, doesn't deal with the situation whatsoever. Uh, I'm going to start with one that, that kind of jumped out at me because I think a lot of people are using this 
to grind whatever axe they have nearby, right? My axe that I grind all the time is I hate threat intelligence feeds. And by the way, threat intelligence feeds wouldn't have freaking helped you with this because none of that was on the threat intel feed radar. I'll save that for another webcast. But the advice that I saw, I, I think it was on Twitter and there was an article. They said, well, this finally shows us that organizations that don't have CISOs we shouldn't be trusting those organizations. And from here on out, if we're going to be doing security and you're going to be buying software or anything from any company, make darn sure that they have a CISO. And I'm like, where the hell did that come from? It was just this weird thing that came out of left field, but it seemed to have gotten a lot of traction. People were like, you know, you're right. We should have CISOs. It wouldn't have helped this at all. Solar Winds had a security director. I think they actually did call him a CISO, the one that left. So what's the advice that you've seen online where people are talking about it, whether it's a senator or whether it's somebody being interviewed, where you yell at the screen, you're like, that's not helping this problem. (laughs) So I'm going to go with um, a couple of things, right? Um, And this isn't so much an action thing, but but if if one more person, if one more person asks me how this compares to Pearl Harbor or or worse, 9-11, I swear I'm going to throw up. And it just... You know, from a national security, I mean, like, look, there's there's cyber intrusion and then there's loss of life. And these two things are just, yeah, just just cut that. But from a recommendation standpoint, we, we were talking about this a little bit, I think, even before we went live with pre-show. Um, I've had folks ask me if HSMs are the answer, hardware security modules, for those, those that don't know, uh, will be the answer to stop the golden SAML attack. And again, I'm now back to the I'm going to throw up here too. Uh, But for those that aren't aware, and I'll drop the link here in in a minute um, into the the Discord chat. Um, I did a big tweet thread last night on, you know, SAML and understanding what SAML is. Uh, SAML security search and markup language, right? But basically, anytime somebody compromises an IDP, an identity provider, they can sign tickets as you. It's very analogous to golden ticket attacks, right? Basically, you're like, I am, yes, I am, uh, basically asserting that, that this person, this entity is who they say they are. Um, and, uh, you know, folks are asking, like, how do we prevent that? And I'm like, prevent compromise of the IDP. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But how do we? I'm like, adding an HSM doesn't stop doesn't help. hackers on the identity yeah, but, provider. But right? doesn't that go to a fundamental misunderstanding of what that is? Like, they think that there's this magical chip that's automatically going to detect attacks. And it, it, it's that's not how... Like, I don't even know, like there's a handful of attacks that it would help against, but it's not going to do a damn thing against over 95% of the attacks that are out there. And not this specific one, right? Like what people are missing here is that the attackers took the signing keys because they could. And if yep. they couldn't have done that, they'd have stayed on the IDP server. Was it a better scenario for them to steal it once and then leave, right? Totally. But 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 again, they were on the SolarWinds boxes, the Orion boxes, and didn't leave there either. And you weren't catching them there. Why do you somehow magically think you'd have caught them on the IDP? It's just beyond me. Anyway, that's my <laughs> big one. All right, Jonathan. What doesn't work? Oh, more boxes. Unless, oh, 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 sorry, unless there's security onion boxes running Zeke. But the whole... The whole just throwing more devices at it, throwing more devices at it, throwing more devices at it. That's that's not that's not helping. And and I'm I'm just I honestly, Jake, you should know this because I because I love you and I and I'd be wearing my rendition logo if I hadn't lost it in the move. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I, I couldn't find my rendition shirt. He knows it because uh, we just we moved recently and it's in a different box someplace. Anyhow, 
I get I get hit up all the time on LinkedIn. I get I'm I'm headhunted all the time by vendors who who want me to put my cachet whatever behind their product brand because they have they have a brand new shiny thing, a brand new shiny widget. And and uh, this just happened again recently. And I looked at the company and I looked at the widget and the approach that they're taking. I'm thinking, thinking wow, that's a Looks like a nifty new approach, but could I get behind their new widget and spend my life out there saying, this new widget, this is what you need to buy and it will solve that. No, I can't. I couldn't. I couldn't. Yeah. The shiny box. I'm tired, I'm, tired of, I'm tired of product proliferation when you don't even know what you have. So I want to I riff on that because let's talk about the shiny boxes. I think that there were signs, like if you look at companies, not just solar winds. I think that if you're going to work with a company and they're going to develop software that you're going to put in the critical part of your organization, we know some bad things from SolarWinds, right? Their CISO came out and said that things were a train wreck. They didn't want to do anything. There were security researchers that found that they had servers with passwords of SolarWinds 123. So I'm going to ask you, if I'm working with a company, what are some signs that that company may have security problems? And what are some signs that you look for that you would say, hey, this company seems to have their security poop in a group. Like they seem to be doing really well in, in securing their software. I'll tell you, I, I do two things, right? Um, three things, actually, right? I start with Census. And if you're not familiar with Census, that, that's where I start. And I go Census specifically because I want their certificate transparency logs. And I want to know, are you, are your TLS certificate, particularly the one on your main website, is it wildcarded? Because if it is, I know that you don't value security. I know that, that you either don't know why that's a dumb thing to do, or you knew it was dumb, but the right way is too hard, right? Um, I also look through census specifically for lots of other down-level certificates that you may have signed and forgotten about or requested. You didn't sign them, uh, but requested and then forgot about. And then I pivot from that over to Shodan. And very specifically with Shodan, I'm not interested in today's results. I'm interested in the historical scan results, right? Because we've probably all heard the term lipstick on a pig before. And, uh, oh, brother, there are a lot of organizations that suddenly get a big cash infusion, right? So whether it's like a Series B or whatever. But if your security was a train wreck up to that point, right, or whatever it was, like, that doesn't mitigate you, you making some changes now. It doesn't really mitigate previous risk, right? And so I like to have that uh, have that coming in. And I know I said there was a third one here, and I'm drawing a blank. It was Census Shodan and the uh, Garbaje. I can't remember the third one, but there's definitely some like outer signs of uh, you know outer signs of of, of of let's call it. I don't want to say negligence per se. Um, and now I remember what the third one was. If I get any information about their internal domain names leaked, so like the Ooh. not the domain, right? But well, John, I mean, we do tons of merger and acquisition due diligence at Rendition, and, yep. and I routinely have the internal domain names. I go hit dark web search, and I I know I just touched the third rail saying the word dark web search, right? <laughs> but but I do, right? I am I'll looking for that because if it's an internal domain name and it's not test.local, right, then you know, if it's something unique and I find a bunch of information there, oftentimes during these cybersecurity, you know, uh, uh, due diligence assessments, merger and acquisition due diligence assessments, we find that there's an active breach or active breaches in the organization that they didn't know about before, right? Our, our tagline, of course, is don't buy a breach, right? But that's, look, reality-wise, those three things alone <laughs> are ginormous, 
for, for understanding. And obviously this isn't due diligence for merger and acquisition, but it is due diligence for someone that you are placing a tremendous amount of trust in. When you double click on that application installs, trusted installer, and you're like, hey brother, here you go, go run on my network. So Jonathan, what's yours? You know, if I'm if I'm working with a if I'm working with a customer who's uh, already identified a product that they're considering, and and it's and it's going to be you know it's going to have real obviously real security implications of any software product, and I'm working with them on that, I'll, I'll use that evaluation process and I'll come up with a technical question that's deep enough and hard enough that I'll get myself to the to talk to an engineer. And I'll talk to an engineer inside. And yeah, I have this technical question about how this thing works, whatever. But as soon as I get engineering on the phone, I just start asking them security relevant things and talking in security jargon and lingo and, and talking about things and see, oh, are, are their software engineers clueful about and any you're of these basically, things? Basically, you're talking with- to their sales team. You talk to their sales team and say, I don't want to talk to you guys. With all due respect, I love you all dearly. I want to talk to your security engineers. Uh, bring, yeah. bring me the security engineers, like the Zeke logs. Uh, we're building. Yeah, engineers. I mean, even even if because I, I do, I've done this. I've done this so many times. If I'm talking to an intern, whether whether for for my own company or for somebody else, and they're and they're 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 fresh out of school with their shiny new CS degree, right? I, I'll I'll ask the question, and I've said this so many times. I'll ask the question did, while you were getting that shiny new CS degree of yours. Did any of your professors ever tell you that you need to check the bounds on your input before you shove it into a buffer and process it? Just yep. to see if they've been told. And th- these days, it's gotten much, much better. These days, most commonly, they'll say, yes, yes, we got told that. But then the follow-up question is, okay, did they tell you why you need to do that? And unfortunately, still to this day, the answer is most commonly because because my code will be unstable if I don't. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. yeah, I'm not I'm not even kidding. I'm not even kidding because we're not teaching security fundamentals for developers in our CS programs. And so if I can get on the phone with a dev, I will I will ask questions that 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 will show me have they got a clue. And good firms won't have a problem doing that with you. I know the bad firms, their sales team will be like, sorry, they're busy. Sorry. They don't want you to get on the phone with their dev team because as soon as yeah. you start talking you're speaking a completely different language and the sales team has lost total control of controlling the narrative of the sale, right? Yep. So by getting that security team on, getting that dev team on the phone and you start asking them questions, they've lost control. But a good firm will be like, no, 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 I trust my devs. Let's roll with it. So I've got a couple that are a bit weird. My first one is, and they seem like complete opposites of each other because they are. We talked about CISOs or directors of security. If you look at a firm and they've rotated their director of security like yearly for like two, three years, stay the hell away from that company because CISOs leave companies and they get fired. That happens all the time. But when you see churn at the top level of an organization at the security role, it takes a CISO a few months just to get their feet underneath them. And if you see them leaving in a 12-month period or right after a 12-month period, that means they're working at a company that's a dumpster fire. A a story on this. There was one company that did a lot of software development. And they got a new CISO and they flew me down to meet the new CISO because their company was running in a place that I wanted to go to. And I sat in a room and I talked to their developers, just like Jonathan said. And they were running web apps, I kid you not, 
that were built on access databases. You remember the access database where you can build a web form in the front end? They had a bunch of their critical infrastructure was running in access databases. None of their code had been updated for like five, six years. There was no DevSecOps. There was no SDLC. It was just a bunch of developers that have been coding for 15 years, have never worked anyplace else. They're using just standard text editors, no IDEs to, to handle the security, none of it. And at the end of that meeting, she cleared everybody out of the room and she said, give it to me straight. How bad is it? And I told her, I want you to stay here for one year and then I want you to get the hell out. There's nothing you can do here. There was conversations about how she had no support from upper management, from the board of directors to do the right thing. So if you see a company that's rotating out those CISOs very, very quickly, there's a reason for that. Mm -hmm. Number two, the opposite is also true. If you see a company and the director of security or their CISO is somebody that's been working with that company for 15 years and their bio reads, you know, formally did logistics or formally did financing or formally did this and moved into this role, that means someone that they love in that company dearly at the upper level, they needed to find a place and for that person and they opened up a CISO role and they put them into it. So you got to find that sweet spot where a CISO has been there for like three to five years. If they have a new one, that's great. What was the tenure of the one before that? So that would be a huge thing that I would recommend looking at because those organizations, those are the ones that we see the most difficulty with. The other thing is job postings. Look at their job postings and historical job postings. How are they written? What's the technology that they're looking for? What are the skill sets that they're looking for? So if they just like, we're looking for a security engineer with a CISSP, that tells me they don't quite know what they want. They're like, yeah, let's get some security up in here. But if they actually get into details of the technologies that they need to have, certs that are beyond CISSP, like they're looking for a red teamer and they want someone with an OSCP, that makes sense. They're like, we're looking for a help desk technician and they have to have a CISSP. It's like, they don't know what's going on. So those are the things that I'd recommend looking at. You just about made me blow water out my nose just now for one with the access database. Yeah. But, well, dude, but I haven't seen that to your last point, to, to your last point, you just made me remember, and this isn't about how to select a product or anything. I was working for, uh, I was doing an engagement for a hospital and, and the CISO in the hospital was the CISO at the hospital because he was the brother-in-law of the CEO. Yep. There you go. Yep. I found that out yep. like on day one, day one, because the security engineer I was working with, I things smelled off the minute I walked in the door and I asked like, what's going on? And he told me straight, he just told me that straight up. He said, my boss is the CISO because he's the brother-in-law of the CEO. And uh, they had to have, you had to have a job. And I was like, oh, wow, this is going to be a fantastic. This is going to be fun. This is going to be fun. <laughs> I will tell you good CISOs, if you're reading the bio of a CISO and they're like, they've presented at, you know, like real security conferences and they've actually had tools, they've had some offensive or some defensive background. I love it when I sit down with a CISO and they're like, hey, I want you to know I did web pen testing with X company for 15 years before I actually got this role. It's like, okay, I know that company. I know the owner of that company. We can talk. You know, that that matters. They have to have that technical background before moving into it. They can't be like, well, you know. He was, you know, he was the head janitor before he became the CISO. That's a bad transition. Yeah, yeah. Yep. But but let's be clear. I'm I'm still going to stand on my other point, man. Even if the company's solid, 
you know, I, look, look at FireEye. Jake, you just gave him mad props a week ago, and I can totally understand why. They did some fantastic work. There are companies out there that are doing some fantastic stuff, right? Yep. When, when yep. Palo Alto came out with what they, what they were going to be doing with their application-level detection and stuff, I didn't believe it was possible. And now look at what they're doing with their next-generation firewalls. There's some, fanta- there's some fantastic stuff out there. However, guess what? Where was all your Palo Alto uh, and, uh, NGFWs and where was all your fire eye gear detecting all this and, and preventing all this? Um, We're still, some, uh, a lot of them are still stuck in signatures, man. A lot of them are still stuck, stuck in signatures. We got to get more behavioral. So I got a couple you know, of other things that I really want to get to. This one, I really wanted to get your opinion. I don't think I've talked to either one of you about it at all. So this is kind of a bit of a surprise. I think the biggest mistake that we've gotten from this or the biggest problem that we have from this is this set patching back 10 years. I think that, you know, there's, you actually see it in articles where people are like, oh, but a whole bunch of customers of Orion, they didn't patch. And if they didn't patch, they didn't, they're not going to get hacked. I had somebody tell me, you know, that there's someone out there, that there was a fight about patching the server and all these hacks happened. And the guy that was fighting against patches, like, see, I told you so I was right. We shouldn't patch. This, that exact conversation, I kid you not, the day after the uh, SolarWinds piece or the Orion piece went public, so that Monday, right before I got on the SANS webcast to deliver that, I had a talk with a Fortune 500 CISO who said exactly that. He's like, he's like, man, he's like, we would have been impacted. He's like, but the ops was so slow to get this patched, we're in the clear. And I'm like, he's like, thank goodness. I'm like, no, That's- you have... You have exactly missed, just missed the boat here, right? This is, if you are in any way, just take this to the bank here. I will fight you on this, right? Like go, yeah, go in the ring kind of thing. If you are using this as an excuse not to patch, then then by all means, show me your army of reverse engineers that you are using to deep dive into the code bases that you're looking at to go find the back doors. Are supply chain attacks going to keep happening? Absolutely. I'll bet the money in my pocket, the money in my bank account on that, right? Yeah. But if you're using this as a as an excuse not to patch, brother, we're going to the mat over this. That that, that is just it's it's absolutely asinine. I, I don't even have a sorry, I don't even have a good term at this point to like, you know, or a good analogy to explain how backwards that thinking is. So so yeah, to that point, just just don't do it. Jonathan. <laughs> I think he blew it in. He blew a vein in his one head. Of, one, of the, one of the One of the difficulties of having a conversation like this, this this uh, this three way conversation we have, is is much like the difficulty I have on on the twitters, and why I almost never tweet. I almost never tweet. If you notice, I almost never ever ever tweet. It's because something will happen in the universe that I feel like, oh, I gotta, I gotta say something about yeah. this. I'm about to, and then I think, wait. Let me go see what Jake just tweeted. I go see what Malware Jake just tweeted, and I'm like, mm, like, and I'm no. done. That's how that's it's, it's, it's that quick, right? And then I just gonna have to uh, Jake. I, I I tweet by proxy. Jake is my proxy for all tweeting because almost never does he fail to say something that I would have said. And here we have it once again. What Jake just said, really. Yep. What Jake just said. It's it's incredible to me. But I'll throw this. You know. I, I take things back into the biological realm a lot and not just because of current events of 2020 and the pandemic. All right. I've been, I've been doing that my whole career because of my medical background. I think in, in biological terms quite a bit. 
And and that's like one person one time had an allergic reaction to a vaccine. So now let's all just not get vaccinated. What? No, stop. Stop with yeah. that. That's that's crazy. That's crazy talk. And, and but that's what we're going to be dealing with. And I think that this just made attackers' lives easier for the next five to ten years. Oh yeah. Um, and we've got tons of examples. Like you talk about people that, oh, well, we patched our Windows NT system and it crashed, so we haven't we haven't had a good patch policy, or we wait three months. And that's getting to Jake's point. Why are you waiting three months to deploy patches? Like, well, we're just waiting. What are you doing during that time? Are you like you hold, hold up to pro? I mean. Yeah, you're just waiting. What, what 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 exactly do you expect to gain from that activity? That that's that's mind blowing. About Jonathan, by the way, the, the vaccine thing is is perfect. It's perfect. And, and mm-hmm. from an analogy standpoint, I was trying to come up with one. I just didn't have it. But but zero log on is my is is my counteraction to this, right? If you're going to tell me like, oh, thank goodness, right? Then I'm going to tell you, hey, and by the way, then you were pwned by zero log on, right? Which yeah. is a much huger threat, right? So so which patches precisely will you not be applying now? Right, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which, okay, so, precisely which patches will you not be applying that? That's just the ones that are going to be now. That's the uh, yeah. So, <laughs> so I want to tie this in. We have ten minutes. I, I think that you know, for people trying to find some guidance moving forward, I think number one, take a deep breath. You're not going to beat Solar Winds. It already won. In many organizations, it's over. It was in your environment. You, you know, it, they've shut down the DNS and the C2 servers. The the Russians have moved on to other things. And that's what you should be worrying about. They've moved on to other things. And that is key. I, I pissed off a bunch of threat and tell analysts. They're like, well, if John doesn't like threat and tell, maybe I should just quit my job. That's not what I'm talking about. In the yeah, industry of us, yeah, in the industry where we have people that are constantly trading in signatures of files, we're trading in domains and IP addresses. There's little value in detecting advanced adversaries in trying to detect yesterday's attacks. And in order to get to the point of detecting tomorrow's attacks, it's a simple, simple theme. Stick to your core fundamentals. Make sure you have proper visibility and logging on the network. Make sure you have proper visibility and logging on your endpoints. Look at, you know, all these things in security, as Jake said at the beginning, and Jonathan also reinforced, can fail. UEBA can fail. Your endpoint security can fail. Your network security monitoring can fail. But it is exceedingly difficult as an adversary to bypass every single one of them if they're instrumented correctly. So we need to get back to those core fundamentals. Jake. I want to throw out here that of the customers that I'm talking to, both old and new, right, folks that are dialing the 800 number for the first time, folks that we've had on retainer for years, the thing, the one thing, if somebody asks me for a predictor, what is the best predictor for how folks are faring through this? Have you done an incident response tabletop exercise? For the folks that have, we've already been, I know, back doors and breaches right there, right? For the folks that have, they have been through this. They have, they, I'm not saying that everyone has closed their visibility gaps. Most of them haven't. Let's be real, right? But but they know where they are and they've worked through this. And, and the, the whole like, wait, we don't have what? We don't have the, ah, that all those reactions are done, right? Those happen under calm circumstances. They're rolling into this. It's not like taking the field for the first time ever, um, you know, in the Super Bowl. Well, whoever whoever's thinking, sitting there thinking that, oh, John Strand hates threat intel, he hates me, he hates my job, he hates my role in life. I don't, I think you're getting a wrong read on that personally, because I mean, what's, what's my job title technically in the world? 
<laughs> threat hunting operations lead for rendition infosec. I hunt, hunt threat for a living. Threat intel matters to me. It does. It really, really matters. Do your do your do your threat modeling. That's what these TTXs are all about. Do that stuff. Absolutely do it. Because man, if Strand hates that, then he hates me. And I don't know what he was doing as the best man at my wedding then. Boo. <laughs> the, the reason why I hate threat intelligence is I think that people like you buy all these threat intel feeds, additional hashes, additional IP addresses, additional host names, and we're already getting that in our firewall. We're already getting that on our endpoint. I think that we're spending too much time and money on it. Whereas yeah. where Jonathan and Jake, when they're doing threat hunting, they're looking at the techniques and the tactics and they're working threat hunting that way. So we this is all another webcast. You have a pheromal threat intelligence and you have durable threat intelligence. And the two gentlemen that are on right now, they trade in durable threat intelligence. They aren't just looking for hashes. They're looking for the techniques that the adversaries are using. So the other thing I wanted to kind of close out with is something kind of light. How do you think the Russians are doing? Do you think somebody got his butt kicked because he got caught at FireEye? I, I like this because we have wildly differing views on this. So, uh, Jake, I'm going to start with you because I'm doing this thing, this rotation. So how do you think the Russians are taking this entire operation and the fact that it got blown up? Like, what, what's your take on it? Okay, so first off, just for the probably one or two of you on the webcast that don't know, I used to be a, a U.S. government hacker. Now the shadow brokers have made that widely public. I, I, whatever, right? So. So understand context-wise, I only say this from a context standpoint. This isn't me like just hypothesizing here, right? The the actual hacker, the actual on-keyboard operator who got caught, whatever, right? I I don't think that there's a, I I think that that's that's probably, uh, whatever. They're still getting crapped on a little bit or, you know, beat on a little bit. The person, the, the mission planner who accepted the risk, right? Because we talk all the time in security about accepting the risk. Every every operation and every step of every operation exposes additional risk, right? You have to turn this almost on its head. And somebody approved the risk to go after FireEye. I don't know what the goal of going after FireEye was, right? I have I have lots of theories. I'm quoted in, in just Google that, right? You know, in major uh, media publications there. But whoever made the decision to go after them, obviously the risk wasn't worth the reward. We are now in this discussion, playing Monday morning quarterbacking about that, right? Let's be straight about that. But whoever the mission planner was, whoever the, the risk acceptor was, at that, and it, it almost certainly was not the hands-on keyboard person, they are having a bad week, right? They are having a potentially gulag week. Because remember, you know, mission failure um, in some of these more authoritarian-ish regimes looks a lot different than it does here, right? So I think they're having a phenomenally bad week, and it puts a smile on my face thinking about it. You're saying their HR department is different. Well, I mean, HR is, is like, you know, instead of getting a written counseling, uh, I suspect in some places it's more like a pistol whipping. But uh, hey, rock on, right? All right, Jonathan. Unlike everyone else at Rendition, I am not a former nation state operator. <laughs> I'm, just the, I'm just the only one. It's just as it turns out, right? Um, which which they knew when, when they asked me to join them. Like, you know, I've never popped boxes for a nation state, right? They're like, yeah, we know. It's yeah. all comments. <laughs> so so I, I've only I've only got speculation, but I've I've come around to uh to uh to largely trusting my IC if they're willing to go po- go public and say, Oh yeah, that was Cozy Bear. Uh, or in this case, FireEye saying, yeah, that was Cozy Bear. It probably was. And I expect, I, I, my 
my threat modeling is is again much the same as same as Jake's. Somebody had to have made the decision to go after FireEye, and they they poke they poke that hornet's nest, and 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 you can see what happens, right? Because if they hadn't, I think Jake said this a week ago on his webcast. If they hadn't, would we know? Would Treasury have made that announcement? Would CISA have put out a, an executive order? I I, I mean. I, I think that they could have stayed hidden for a much, much longer time. I mean, I'd like to think if I was working in one of those organizations, I might have stumbled across it, but probably not if I wasn't looking for it and it wasn't part of the threat model that I was acting on, right? So, I mean, if you want to take it right back around to what could we do better, threat model, threat model, threat model. In this case, yeah, the Russians made a boo-boo, and I bet somebody is having a really bad day. But as you've been pointing out all along, John, that's okay. They've moved on. They got they have other toys and other games to play that they're playing right now that we don't know about. So as they're as they're watching us right now to talk about what they did before. Hi guys. Hope you're having fun with whatever you're doing next, because I will come find you. So so here's my take on it, and I disagree with Jake. On this one, this is one of those rare times where I disagree with Jake. If I if I look at this operation, what I think happened March or earlier, whenever they finally were successful deploying this, I, there's one of two paths of reality. One of those paths of reality is this worked. And they were like, holy crap, that worked. And then for months, every day, whenever they would go into work, they would be like, have we been caught yet? No. Okay. All right. Let's get to work. And then they'd come in the next day. We've been caught yet. All right. Let's get to work. And as the months drug on, these people were working long hours once they got past the two week incubation period and they were pulling as much as they possibly could. The stress whenever you're on an offensive operation for a nation state or even during a red team is off the charts. When you're working and you're in a network, you know you're time bound. You only have so much time before you're caught. And that stress can only go for so long, for so high. And for a lot of red teams, you're talking a couple of weeks or months. I can only imagine what it was like for these guys that did this operation and waiting for the hammer to come down for months, the stress that when it finally happened, they're like, screw it, let's go after FireEye. Then they got caught and they're like, thank God it's over. You know, that stress went away. That happens if you're dealing with an organization that got lucky. If you're dealing with an organization where this is just one of many operations that they're running and this is just one game and we caught it and there's more games at play, Jake is 100% right. If they're running multiple operations and this is just one and they have multiple long games going, they absolutely had a structure where somebody made a decision to go after FireEye that was a mistake, that person's in trouble. So I sincerely hope it's the first where they tried something crazy and it worked and it worked beyond their wildest dreams. My fear is that what we just saw was just another day at the office and they have four or five other plays that are going on at the exact same time. I assess with extreme con- that that is that is a perfect point that, that we didn't talk about before and that we should have. And, and that is I will assert with extreme confidence this is not their only iron in the fire. That there's no way. I'll second. I'll second. Yeah. So, so based on that, folks, this is the one we see. Back to basics, though, because 
regardless of what the other irons are, it's not going to matter if you've got the if again if you've got the fundamentals. And, and isn't that what this whole thing has been about? And and I and I do agree with Jake. I'm not going to get into some of my opinions and some of the things, but if you look at the skill and the sophistication and the way that they did the code, the way that they injected it, this is not some fly by night operation. Like this is. The, the, the stuff that they did for Orion on that server, the way that they injected the code, the way the C2 channel was set up, that's t- top shelf, top shelf hacking. They did an amazing job. So I, I can't see that as just being one off. I think that this is, this is their operations now. Where's my tinfoil hat? Uh, so with that, I want to say thank you very much for Jake and Jonathan for coming on. We really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. Once again, if any of us offended you, we're sorry come hunt us down at a conference. Let's have a beer. Let's talk it out. You know, we, we can get into Twitter wars with each other. That's no fun. Let's not do that dumpster fire. Let's get together. Let's have these types of meaningful conversations and let's focus on those fundamentals. So with that, we're done for the year. To hell with it. We're out. This is it. I'm done. No more big attacks, please. So uh, Jonathan, Jake, thanks again. And I will catch up with you guys all later.